Good morning. Still morning. How good was this morning? So good. Great job, guys. Very blessed. <coughs> yeah, my name's Brad. Um, uh, Lisa and I have been uh, leading this church community for the last eight and a bit years um, since we planted it here in Quinana. Uh, before that, we were at a, a Baptist church about kind of half an hour north with Sue MacArthur, who was also there. Sue used to be our young adult small group leader and uh, when, we were, when we were young adults. And, uh, and I also uh, was um, Sue's youth leader, Sue's son's youth leader, when he was in like year six in primary school, all the way through. And now he's part of this church and uh, on our worship team, amazing. So um, yeah, love that connection long-term family connection. Um, yeah, we've loved our involvement and engagement with a larger house, and I thought I'd start, I guess, just by sharing how we kind of came across that. Uh, so when we planted the church, um, so seven of us came in, and, and with a, but with a real missional heart to want to engage with our local community. And um, in doing so, in the first kind of year, we recognized um, being in a, in a lower kind of socioeconomic community that uh, that discipleship uh, required a lot more than just um, here pray a prayer here's a bible see you on sunday um you know you'll be right because people lived in such deep uh, dysfunction and so the even to schedule in a meeting or a catch-up with someone you know the number of times that i would you know connect with someone on the streets and that have maybe have an encounter with god and then we'd be like okay well i'll, I'll see you tomorrow or it'd be a saturday come you know come in the morning and it just wouldn't happen because chaos would you know, was part of their, their normal life. And so recognizing that we needed more uh, in our discipleship journey than, um, than the simple kind of tools. And uh, so someone that I'd met, a Christian who was working locally, and he had mentioned a larger house. And so I thought, well, we'll go check it out. And uh, I got some ministry myself. Uh, and then I think Lisa and I uh, went along one time and just really um, thought, you know, this, is, this might be a really good tool for us in ministering to our local community. So uh, then we invited um, Alice and, uh, and a small team to come to our church community to run a school. And uh, yeah, a bunch of us did it. So I think we had 20-odd people, uh, lots of younger people in the school. And, uh, and it was just amazing. And, and really what stood out to me is the way that the, the law... Uh, the laws of the kingdom were really kind of awakened to me in a new way. So I think it's a common thing we talk about, you know, we're not under the law, we're under grace, and we understand in that way that old covenant law, but still recognizing the, the importance of, but there's laws of the kingdom. You know, even in Romans, it talks about the law of the spirit of life. There's, there's laws that God has established, and there is blessing that comes when we follow them. There's curses that come when we don't. There's bondage that comes when we don't, and there's blessing that comes you know, when we do. And, and so that really stood out to me. I was like, man, this is really important stuff. And, and then also the, that movement on from forgiveness to dealing then with the judgments and, and how that uh, is bound in our life. And uh, at that time, um, I think when, just before we had, ran that school, uh, David Tenson had become the manager of a larger house and uh, he was told by people that, you know, were part of the network already, well, David, just don't expect um, for any of the schools to be large in terms of numbers and don't expect young people, you know, it's just, generally schools are small and lots of old people and, uh, and so we had a school with lots of people and lots of young people and so I get a call one day, so hi, my name's David Tenson, I had no idea who he was and, and he's like, what are you guys doing because um, you, you're doing this and so um, that you know I guess helped to, to bridge the connection and um, after over a couple of years I ended up finishing uh, the school um, Amy continued on uh, through you know with Sue and, and completed all the levels of that and um, but it just really the more that we uh, got involved in it um, the more even for I think Amy really feeling like this is a call and a passion on her life and and so for me, even going through and finishing off the school, um, I never really saw myself as being becoming a prayer minister, um, but really wanted to know all the ins and outs to, to support that part of the ministry in our church community. And, uh, and we've just seen amazing breakthrough. 
like long-term breakthrough in people's lives and it's such a joy um, but also as you know through that process it awakened me I think even more so uh, to the need for heart ministry uh, and that is far broader than prayer ministry um, but the, the role of heart ministry in the transformation of the church and, uh, and essentially heart healing heart ministry is um, is at the core of discipleship you know Jesus came to um, to call us into discipleship and a disciple is one who uh, sets up their entire life to become like the one that they're following to follow the rabbi you know when Jesus called the disciples it was a normal thing for them to leave behind their entire life and to follow him that's what discipleship looked like in Jewish culture now obviously the the disciples that Jesus chose were not the you know the the religious elite um, those who were you know, qualified, but he called them and, and made them qualified. But heart healing and transformation is at the core of discipleship. Jesus is not after behavior modification, he's after heart transformation. You know, he wants that life that to flow out of us, um, not just for us to look like him on the outside, but to become like him on the inside. And as we become like him, then we naturally walk out the reality of Christ. He's after little Jesus's. He wants to fill the earth with little Jesus, like, uh, but I'm talking literally, like that's, that's the whole aim of, of your life as, as a disciple of Jesus, is to become just like Jesus, which means it must be a possibility. So the gospel, which is the good news of the kingdom of God coming to earth, involves within it the binding up of the brokenhearted. So healing ministry is, again, a central call of the church to the world, to the nations, is to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring healing to broken and wounded hearts. And we see that uh, in Isaiah 61, verse 1, which Jesus um, you know, pulls out when he opens up the scroll in the temple. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So again, central to the ministry of Jesus was the healing of the brokenhearted. Now, historically in the church, we've kind of, there's different streams and generally they'll fall in one of the categories of being kind of spiritual on the spiritual end so focusing on the spirit of a person or on the intellectual end focusing on the mind of the person and oftentimes the heart gets neglected uh, in that kind of stream of ministry now the heart um, so the mind is, is incredibly important Paul talks a lot in the book of Romans about the renewing of the mind so our minds are important our spirit is important that's where the the primary work of initial renewal and the righteousness of Christ is formed in us that's when new creation happens in us but the heart is where all of those realities really flow out true change happens in the heart Proverbs 4:23 says so above all guard the affections of your heart for they affect all that you are Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. From your heart flows that wellspring of life. It's an inner reality that we experience. Romans 10.10, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. But all of our belief systems exist in our heart. And this is one of the things when we can try and uh, tell our mind to believe something, and yet if our heart has already decided to believe something different, we will battle and we will strive and we will try so hard in our mind to, to do something different, but ultimately we're going to live out of our belief systems. And you find this with people and they can be, they can just try so, and they're so disciplined in their mind. And yet when the rubber hits the road, what's in their heart is what comes out. And that's where our belief systems live. And for me, um, part of the, uh, the reason even for, for planting a church was to, um, you know when you, got, you, got, you can have convictions about things uh, and there are lots of ideas and I was 27 um, years old, uh, which means I'm 35 today, I know I look so much younger, um, but uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, you know, I'm 35, I'm an old, old man, um, <laughs> sorry. All right. Whew. 
Oh, we're just buying up that spirit of offence. Um, so. <laughs> so uh, I had lots of ideas. I had lots of convictions uh, about all sorts of things um, as a, as a twenty seven year old young man. Um, even uh, Lisa Tabor at the back there. She was also uh, part of our church and um, worked in the children's department and a youth department were all part of the same thing and she I had lots of opinions didn't I yes I did um, uh, but you have convictions and sometimes they're their opinions and sometimes they're convictions and they're things from God and so part of then planting a church was like let's just do something different just to see if God is actually on these convictions of our hearts let's just see and let's just give him space to use us and to move us and to shape us into whatever he wants just to see what he might have and so we've always been really intentional about what we've done but also really intentional about not doing things that we don't feel like God is calling us to do yet um, so everything that's kind of shaped uh, what we've been about but when when I look at the the bride of Christ across the world you just see so much wounding so much brokenness so much distortion so much unrighteousness at all sorts of levels and I can understand as people come in and they're broken and they they need healing but but when that's the leadership of a church I'm just like that's just not okay um, and then when people are being wounded by the bride. So the bride is supposed to be the healing center. Um, it's supposed to be the hospital for the nations, and yet it becomes the place of wounding for so many people. And for me, um, inner healing shouldn't just be like a parachurch organization that's kind of out there. So the church does its thing, and then people get wounded. Okay, so we'll go get some prayer ministry out there. Inner healing should be part of the life of the church. Now, we understand that, and, and in my opinion, this is my opinion, this sermon is possibly filled with a lot of my opinions, so you can slot it into that category. Um, but for me, the parachurch exists when the local church isn't doing its job. And the parachurch really should only exist to awaken the bride back to her core purposes and calling. And that, for me, is what, even with a larger house, they're, they're biblical principles. They came by, by you know, years of revelation and ministry and outworking. But ultimately, it's about those things becoming a normal part of the everyday life of the church, that the value for the heart, the value for the healing of the heart, the restoration of those things, all of that insight and revelation just becomes a normal part of the core DNA of a body. Because when we do that, that's when we start to see the healing come to the bride and the wounding start to cease. So we can't continue to wound people because of the way the church operates and then just send them off to get healed somewhere else. Heart awareness and understanding the impact of unforgiveness and judgments and all of those sorts of things helps us to actually prevent wounding people. So we've got ministry for the wounded, but if we have structures and systems in the church that actually create that wounding, then we've got a problem to start with. So my heart is that as, as the years would go on, as generations would go on, there'd be less and less of a need for prayer ministry because people are, they're being raised in healthy environments. So we don't just have wounded people in the church, but also wounding structures and values. So for me, performance orientation is a, is a huge one. And we've worked really, really hard to strip performance orientation from our culture. So we take things slow, and there's a big cost to that. Um, you know, the, have, have you enjoyed the worship times in our community? Yeah. So that's been years and years and years of a really slow journey of prioritizing the hearts of those who would lead our community into those throne room encounters. Which means then you've got a handful of people every week doing all of that work because we're not just going to say oh you can play an instrument cool we'll take you oh you can sing quick yeah jump up here we we need because we need to have music happening I'm like no we don't <laughs> we need people who are who are on a journey of healing and wholeness because they're going to release things into the room and they're going to release everything that they're carrying and so if they're not whole and healed and i mean 
none of us have, have reached the place. The heart journey is a journey. It's not, a, it's not the heart destination. Um, so we're all on that journey, but we've got that priority to say, if I'm going to stand up here, I have a responsibility for my own heart so that I don't infect and impact negatively the community of God. But again, sometimes in that performance-oriented culture, it's really about how it looks rather than actually what's being released in the spirit. And the unfortunate reality is that in a performance-oriented culture, performance-oriented people are a pastor's best friend. We label it passion when in fact it's deep brokenness and a longing for affirmation. Which means that the church grows on the backs of broken hearts. In a performance-oriented culture, the church grows on the backs of broken hearts. We literally load up the wounded to fulfill the mission of the church, which surely is to heal the brokenhearted. And yet we think it's something else, and so we, we neglect the brokenhearted and we use them in order to fulfill what we think are the greater purposes of the church. It doesn't sound like the heart of the Father to me. Having a wounded person and going, oh, you're wounded, it's okay, we'll, we'll, we'll use you. So when people come into our, into our community and we see performance orientation on them, we're like, guess what, you get to do nothing. Really, but who am I if I have nothing to do? I need a position, I need a role, I need a title, I can do anything. No, no, you just do nothing. And it can be the most horrible experience for people. <laughs> but I'm not going to, how could I use somebody's brokenness? But again, if, if the purpose of the church is to just to grow and expand and numerically increase at the, at the expense and cost of people, then it's like, okay, yeah, what doesn't really matter? Oh, you got some stuff going on. That's ah, all right. You can, you know, just, I'll just cast more. You just need more vision. You know, I'll just cast more vision into you and then you'll, you know, you'll get on for a season and then you'll burn out and then you'll leave. But it's okay because we're growing. So we've got lots of more people coming in that we can use and abuse um, to build, to build our empire all right Turn it up. it's 11 11 hey. um, and when i think about you know prayer ministry in a local church context it, it it's kind of like a like the triage for the wounded warriors um and so there's there's such a, an importance for it but but my heart is always far more than just raising prayer ministers. I mean, we need them. We need them in this city. We need them in this nation. We need them right across the nations. We need prayer ministers. We need those who are equipped and called and anointed to, to free the brokenhearted. But simultaneously to that, we need to also shift cult, the culture of the bride to not be the place of wounding for so many people. So I love the principles of a larger house, and they are kingdom cultural, kingdom values that exist. That's what they are, and they've just been packaged and labeled in different ways. But it's just the, the heart of the Father. It's the values of the kingdom. It should be part of the DNA of the church, part of the foundational dynamics of the church. And so for us then, uh, prayer ministry and the local church and the involvement and engagement of that being in a local community, uh, what I have come to know is that community is the best context for healing and transformation. You can get healed in isolation, but the best context for healing and transformation is community because there is so much more that's required than a, than a prayer ministry session. You actually need to then walk out the healing. You actually need all of those new structures built into your life. You know, someone's got a father wound where they need healing from the, the unforgiveness, the judgments, the inner vows, the lies that they've believed about father figures in their life or about father God. But part of the healing journey is to be loved by fathers, natural fathers, spiritual fathers, because that actually then builds in that which was never built in. Because we grow up, again, there's the two different types of trauma, the trauma of abuse and then the trauma of neglect. 
when you have that trauma of neglect, you can deal with all of the roots that would cause you to, to, to live and to continue to manifest that. But once the roots are gone, then you need to plant the garden. You need people around in that, in that community context, mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters, to start to pour in and to tend the garden of your heart to bring to life those things that never existed. And the church is the greatest apologetic of the gospel. The church as a community, Jesus said that people will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. That you'll be a witness to the world because of the love that exists in the Christian community. And that as people come in, they'll see there's love in this place, there's freedom in this place. And they go, I want to know this Jesus. I want to know the Jesus that can create that kind of people as we, as we begin more and more to reflect Christ. And so through community, we get to be the manifest love of the Father to people. And we get to cultivate and produce the fruit that we give away. So as I was saying before, in, in planting a church, I'm like, let's plant a garden, let's plant some seeds, grow a garden, and we'll give away the fruit that we produce. Rather than just saying, oh, we've got all these ideas, we know what's happening, I'm going to write a bunch of books and uh, you know, send it out and tell everyone what to do, even though I haven't done it myself. And it happens in the church. But for me, I'm like, no, no, we need to be gardeners, not grocers. <laughs> you need to go to the garden, not the grocery store. And to, to grow a garden takes a lot more work than popping down to the grocery store. Yeah? I know you guys are into, you do vegetable gardens and all that sort of stuff. I mean, the, the quality is far better when you grow it yourself. And it's right there. It's so much more amazing, so much more tasteful, all of that sort of stuff. But it's so much quicker and easier just to pop down the grocery store. But the fruit is not the same. And this is what I like to call integrity-based ministry. When we do community life together, it means that my relationships are built upon the integrity of the relationship. It has to be maintained. When we live in isolation, then we can kind of pick and choose how we interact and all of those sorts of things. But all we're kind of forced into community in some way. And an integrity-based ministry, integrity-based community actually requires that whatever I'm releasing, whatever I'm ministering out of has been produced in me. And God called me to be you know, a spiritual father and lots of prophetic words about that. And so I was like, okay, well, I've got to learn how to do that. And so I started to learn how to do that. And then God took me through a season where he's like, no, no, I'm going to actually produce that in you. I don't want you to learn how to be a father. I want you to be one. In the same way, I don't, we, you know, he doesn't want us just to learn about how to be like Jesus. He wants us to become Jesus. I've said many times to our community, you know, Jesus didn't wear a what would Jesus do bracelet. He didn't need to think about what would I do in the scenario. He just did because he was and we are called to just do as we are, which is Christ. Is that all right? I like it. That's what's, that's what's important. <laughs> and the church of God is called to be a family. When we read through the New Testament, that the model for church is all familial language. So, you know, mothers and fathers and sons and daughters and brothers and sisters. It's about the family of God. And healthy families produce healthy children. And those healthy children produce and become healthy parents who then raise healthy families. And that's the pattern of the kingdom. You know, I talk about, you know, God's... Um, God's not interested in building factories. He wants to produce, He wants to build families. Because factories replicate, but families reproduce. And there's a big difference... You can come into a factory and you say, here's the mold, here's what you need to fit in, just do your best to be like this. You don't fit, well then you, you, know, you get ejected on the, on the production line. You don't make it through. Whereas in a family, you're, that the DNA of the, of the parents are, are infused into the children and it naturally becomes part of who they are and yet they're distinctive. You know, my kids are very much like me, but they're also quite different to me. Some of them in different ways. <laughs> So they carry my DNA. They carry the, the, the bloodline of, of Lisa and I. They're this amalgamation of the two, and yet they're distinctly themselves. 
and in that family dynamic of the church. But when it's healthy, then all of that healthiness gets passed on to the next generation. And not just the next generation over many, many years, but as the church begins to grow, then that DNA naturally flows out through healthy people and healthy community. So we, you know, we, we started as, as a very small number of people, and, and for many, many years, we were just a small community of people. And, uh, but we just stewarded what we had. And we pressed in, we're going to be a healthy community. We're going to press into heart healing and do the heart journey and live in community and all of the hardship that comes from that. Yeah? Sometimes it's a lot easier to not live in community. Sometimes it's, it's well, it's always a lot easier to have discipleship. It's just like a two-week course that you run. <laughs> Rather than that life-on-life interaction, calling people to, to follow Christ and, and become righteous. But the fruit now, as we've continued to grow, that DNA just multiplies. Because people carry it. They're not just thinking, okay, this is how I must behave, and now I've got to try and get that person to behave. And we put systems and structures around people to conform their behavior to the likeness of whatever the leader thinks is important. Um, Rather than infusing the DNA of the kingdom and the DNA of Christ, which naturally then reproduces people who look like Jesus, who love like Jesus, who serve like Jesus, and that just flows on from one person to the next. And so I love the fact that as, as God has, has brought people to us and he's grown us, that, that those kingdom, that DNA has just continued to, to grow, continue to be part of that. And the whole prayer ministry context has been amazing for us, for helping to develop and continue to develop that kind of kingdom culture, that value for the heart. So we may seek to save the lost, but the question is, what are we actually saving them into? We're called to embody the nature of Jesus. We could see thousands saved, but if none of them looked like Jesus, we're not actually doing what Jesus did. He made disciples, not converts. He was more interested about getting heaven into people than about getting people to heaven. That's what he did. He, he took 12 men. That was his mission. Jesus. Surely Jesus could have impacted more people in his time on earth. I know there was thousands that got healed, but, you know, he had, and even out of the 12, only 11 made it. But his concern was to pour into these people day in, day out, to build into them, to teach them to obey what he had commanded them. Not to teach them stuff. Uh, I love, uh, there's an author called Neil Cole. He wrote a uh, a number of books about organic church. But one of the um, things that he says is that the church is educated beyond its obedience. We've We've got an endless supply of teaching out there. You can live stream, you could live stream multiple different church services on a Sunday, ours included, you know. You get podcasts, you can go to conferences, all of this teaching, 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 teaching. And yet Jesus didn't say, teach them my commands. He said, teach them to obey my commands. Obedience is at the, uh, now the core element of discipleship. But again, you've got to obey out of your heart. Otherwise, it's false. It's not real. It's behavior modification, not heart transformation. I'm going on a tangent. So we need to heal the body before we grow the body. This is one of those kind of, it's probably more from the 90s, 2000s, one of those leadership axioms that they used to you know, talk about, but it was always about healthy things grow. And that was the, the church health kind of movement. And it's like, well, it's just healthy things grow. And I'm like, yes, they do. But so do unhealthy things. Cancer grows, tumors grow, bad things grow. And if you've got an unhealthy church community, that unhealthy church community is going to grow and continue to be unhealthy. So you can't look at a a people and say, look at that church with all of those people. They must be really healthy. No, they could be incredibly toxic, building on the backs of the brokenhearted, and yet producing what looks like beautiful fruit that they've purchased from the grocery store. Or Or not. So for me, you know, my heart is that we would see the bright and just take, take the time 
to let the bride become healthy and beautiful. And then out of that place to reproduce, out of that place to flow on, because then it's going to produce more health and more health and more health right across the nations. Another important element of having healing ministry interwoven into the local church community is that the heart journey requires vulnerability. And vulnerability requires safety. And so then what, well, what creates a safe environment? Well, again, it's probably dealing with some of the teachings of a larger house, like, as I mentioned before, performance orientation. You can't be vulnerable in a performance-oriented culture. Because that equals demotion. You're un- unhealthy, broken, you're in a mess. Ugh, where do we put those people? Children's ministry. <laughs> if you're in children's ministry, that's not, don't start reading into that. I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying it's cool to com- Totally a coincidence, no. Um, But we do, so we have these kind of cultures then in the church, but but as the the teachings, that's what I've loved. So we teach Elijah House principles. It's just kind of woven into everything. I mean, nearly every ministry time we'll pray, but then we won't just pray. We'll we'll pray in a way that, that takes into account judgments and inner vows and lies like it just it's just kind of woven through everything that we do so we're not just saying oh cool if you've got an issue go over there and that's usually can be part of someone's journey if you know hey there's actually i sense there's some possibly some deeper roots here some deeper childhood trauma here maybe some some inner vows that in a in a kind of 15 minute prayer time at the end we probably can't deal with we can deal with some of it but we we want to we want to give holy spirit the time to really do it well so I don't send you off thinking that you're healed um, when actually that you need more. Um, but we have that opportunity to, to draw people in that can be messy. So as those teachings, as they're woven into everything that we do in our community, then people come in and they're like, I'm free. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to fit because I already belong. I don't have to find my place because I'm part of a family. And the family, you know, the, the expectation comes in a, in a family when a child grows to a certain age that then responsibility gets released to them because they've proven themselves to be responsible. So for us, it's like people come in and like, you could, you could have been a pastor of 10 churches and done all of this amazing stuff. It's like, but we don't know you. So just sit, just be. Allow the Lord to heal you. Allow it just to immerse yourself in our community, just to belong, just to engage. And who knows what God might do. But if your identity is tied to your ministry, I'm not going to release you because that would be wrong. Because you might do really great things, but it's not God. And I have to, I'll have to make an account for that. I'll have to give an account for the lives of the people in our community. So creating safe community is then part of it. Dealing with, with some of these issues corporately then allows people to come in and be vulnerable because they feel safe. It's like if I'm broken and I'm messy, I'm not like no one's going to judge me. And, you know, we, we, uh, I've journeyed with people and they've had stuff come up or they've struggled with sin in an area and they come and they repent and they say, I'm so sorry and I've stumbled in this area and then it's like, and then they kind of wait for the punishment to come. Okay, you know, get out the whip, done the wrong thing. And it's like, no, no, it's, you, you took responsibility for your mistake and like you've repented of it and, and we trust that that's genuine and real and so praise the Lord. Like, the health of a community is not determined by, necessarily by the brokenness in the community, but it's about what people are doing with that brokenness. In the same way that, that a community is not, you know, the health of a community is not determined by the amount of conflict, but by the amount of conflict resolution. It's like, oh, there's no conflict in that church. It must be gross. It's because they're all passive. <laughs> yeah. So prayer ministry is part of discipleship, but it's not the whole. It's not a silver bullet that, that solves all the problems. 
But when it's part of a person's discipleship journey and you've got then a community that's living out the values of the kingdom which are interwoven into these, ministry, these prayer ministry values, then it just becomes part of that process, part of that journey. And people come to a place and they go, wow, something's come up in my heart. The Lord has ripened me in a way that I actually think I need to go deeper with this one. But so much healing comes just through, like, hugs. Hugs are healing. I like giving hugs. And I know that there's times where it's like, and you give a hug to someone, it's like, this, this is significant. And the Lord is pouring in. He's just pouring into that person in that time. But that comes in the context of community. That comes in the context of vulnerability. We need to teach people the ways of Jesus and family is the best context to teach that content. Content without a context is fruitless. You know, one of the things that um, we've talked about is, as God is, is awakening the hearts of the church, um, that we need those tools then for the healing of the bride. I think Amy might have mentioned it uh, yesterday um, but we can't have hearts awakened and then go, oh, now what do we do? Um, so we need to kind of partner in. And that's, you know, part of what we feel like is, is a piece in God's puzzle for the nations, even then uh, with the, the property that we have, is that, well, Lord, we'll, we'll take on and we'll carry some of the burden of raising up prayer ministers. And not for our church, but for the, for the churches in our region, for, for our nation. Lord, just use us. We'll do that. We'll take some of that responsibility on. Because then as people are positioned around, so I do really feel like he's just preparing the ground. He's preparing uh, the nation for that awakening, for that breakout. And this is like a really exciting time even to have, you know, this conference is different because of the people that have come in. And we're so excited that you've traveled to be here um, because you're part of what God is doing across the nation to prepare the, prepare the church for the awakening that he's going to bring. Because it's a hard awakening that's, that's coming. But we need these tools for healing. And again, there are lots of great prayer ministry tools out there. And we're not saying like, oh no, Elijah House is it. It's, you know, we've just chosen because um, it's, it's thorough, it's distinctive, even some stuff I shared last night. I find that because all of the teachings are labeled and have um, examples and different things like that, sometimes you can journey through and you go, don't think I've got any real issues. And then, uh, and then you get a teaching about denial. You go, <laughs> all right. I think I've got some issues. <laughs> but you do, and this was, this was my thing. I remember level A, and I'd sit down and, you know, session one. Oh, yeah, I got some of that. I remember, you know, and then go, cool. And then session two, okay, I've got some of that. And that was literally how it went through most of the schools um, that I did. But, but it's because it's always going to hit points in you. And it might be a real big one or it might be a little one. Um, but having it then, then taught in that way. And, and for us as a church, as, as those teachings are woven in, you know, Amy spoke a couple of weeks ago on denial. She taught on that. And, uh, and it, was just, it just opens doors for people because they're like, I, I would not have considered myself to have denial understandably um, <laughs> yeah. I was just trying to think of a joke about learned helplessness but sorry sorry I couldn't help myself um, <laughs> um what we love as well is the, that the teachings of Elijah House creates a common language for understanding the heart. So we get to have a language for our own hearts. And that's a huge part of it. And I think particularly for, for men uh, in, our, in our culture, in our nation, that they, they just don't have a language for their heart. They've got some expressions of emotion, which is often aggression or, or nothing. Good. She'll be right. No worries, mate. It's all good. Yet below the surface, there's stuff bubbling away, which then comes out and um, at the at the wrong kind of times. You know, we've got a nation that's that's gripped by domestic violence, 
incredible amounts of domestic violence. I remember this is a number of years ago, but in, our, in the Quinana community here, there's about 30,000 people. And uh, a lady that we're working with went to get a um, restraining order out against her ex-partner. And uh, when she was speaking to the police, they told her that there's over a thousand violence restraining orders out on people just in Quinana. So a thousand out of 30,000, there's violence restraining orders. And that's then the ones who have been reported. So then you have the, the countless, probably multiples more than that, who aren't. And for me, a 40-year-old man who was violent towards his wife is the same as a four-year-old boy chucking a tantrum in the supermarket. I have this explosion of emotion. I'm not getting what I want. So I'm going to behave in a way to try and control my environment to get the outcome that I desire. But see, men aren't given that language. They're not given that, and they're not encouraged even to have their hearts awakened. I love seeing men's hearts awakened. I just love it because it's like now, and yeah, you can tap into that place. You can start to create a language. So you've got more words to say than just simply, I'm angry. But below that anger is, is another emotion. Below that, and this goes down to those deeper levels. And then we get to get to, now what's the root that's causing you to be stuck and to, emotion, to be behaving emotionally like a four-year-old boy. That was part of my journey. It's like if, when, when pain came up, and I, and I projected that pain out to whatever was right before me, which is then often a spouse, and it's like, you're causing me this pain. And yet the pain I was experiencing was far greater than the behavior of the other person. Because it was rooted somewhere else. And then my response, my response would be childish because I was stuck as a child in that place of pain. And I've noticed, I was just even thinking last week that it seems to be that for men seem to get stuck in emotional immaturity in a way that women don't. And I wonder if it's just simply because women are encouraged to be emotionally present. You know, their emotions are nurtured, so they might get stuck in some areas in their heart, in their life, but men, often it's like it stops there and then at no point, it's like it shuts down, but then no one draws them out again. Because now that it's become compliant in some way. So it's not just about healing of the past, but also that prevention of wounding in the future. So we learn that, so then we get to pass it on to the next generation of our children. We start when we're, you know, as we're parenting then, we get to, you know, we pick up on inner vows or, or on, on trauma situations. We get to pray into those things in the moment rather than letting them kind of manifest later on. And, and I do say, you know, there's, um, there's lots of good teachings for parenting out there, but uh, for everything else, there's a larger house. So it's like the safety net. <laughs> when my kids grow up, I'm sure they'll, they'll be stuffed. But again, that's because as children, however we perceive reality to be, that is reality to us. Um, so it's so important, I think, as we, as we integrate um, these things, these teachings into the church community, as it gives us a corporate language, it gives us an ability then, even though you might not be a prayer minister, that you can start to notice and, and pick up and to hear things and to, to diagnose in others or to self-diagnose in you Maybe there's a root there. I'm not saying that becomes a thing. Oh, clearly, you got an inner vow about this, that, or whatever. Go and deal with it. It's not that, but it's, you start to notice. So we don't, we don't diagnose in that kind of way that we make a, an assumption, oh, this must be your issue. But we can start to hear in people's language even things that, well, and I, I knew as a kid, man, I was like, I'm never doing that. And you go, hmm, interesting. Yeah, have you ever thought about maybe it might be this? And, you know, and, and we get to direct people towards that. But it means then the whole community is doing that. It's not then, well, when, you happen, when they happen to meet with someone in, in our pastoral care team or on, on or one of our pastors or leaders, and in that conversation that they open up enough for us to be able to then go, okay, I think there's some, some core root issues here that we need some more ministry about. It says they're catching up with their friend who maybe they're being totally real with. And in that context, they go, oh, wow, I, I hear your heart then. I'm just noticing some things that come out. Or maybe that's like the fifth time I've heard you say that over the last six months. I just reckon there might be something there. And then they can go together and journey with a prayer minister to get to the roots of that. But it means that the catchment for people's heart wounding expands, the net grows out across the community. And it's not the select few who kind of have the, the secret tools for the heart that are off in the, in the prayer ministry center. 
It's everyone starts to carry those tools. And that's, again, what we love and what's been really beneficial is about the, the change of format to the units. So they're two days, they're, they're cheaper, they're easier to access for people. And, uh, and we've seen so many people in our community go through it and it has been, it's been amazing. All right, I'm near the end. Yeah. You know, it's um, what I love as well about prayer ministry and the role of the Holy Spirit is it's a prophetic pastoral ministry, how the two of them are interwoven. So it's the Holy Spirit who does the work. He brings the revelation. He, it's the power of God that does all of that work. And so we become vessels. And I remember even when Sandra Selma Kirsten was here uh, doing a healing trauma conference and she's just like, every time I sit down, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing, where we're going, and that's the place, that's the way it should be. It should always be in a place, I've got no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea where we're going. But Holy Spirit does, and he's going to lead the way, because it means we stay in that place of dependency. But prayer ministry is, a prof- is prophetic pastoral ministry. And the reality is we can't bring healing without connection to the heart, and you can't connect to the heart without the help of the Spirit. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and it talks about, you know, no one no- knows the, the, um, the mind of a person except the spirit of that person. No one knows the, the mind of God except the spirit of God. And then it says, you have the mind of Christ, which means you have the, all of the thoughts of God dwell in you by the spirit. But it's that thing of knowing when you, when the, as you grow in spiritual maturity, you get to know the thoughts of God. And you get to know your own thoughts, you, your own heart, your own understanding, that deeper level. Because we live so much, you know, on the interface. But there's all of these belief systems that exist underneath the surface. The disciples of Jesus said, Jesus, we believe. Help our unbelief. We believe that you're Lord. We've received the words of life. We know all of that. But there's so many areas in our hearts that are in unbelief. And so we've then got, we can have cultures in the church where it's like, we just got to declare it. You just got to speak it out. It's got to grab, take the word, and you just got to declare it and speak it out. But the problem is you're speaking out with your mouth and you're engaging with your mind, but your heart's already made a determination that I don't believe that. My heart says God is not good. But the song says he's a good, good father. The Bible says he's good, but my heart says he's not. So I can spend Day in, day out, declaring God is good. You're good, Lord. You're good. You're good. You're good. Unless I deal with the reason why I made that determination in my heart, because it's a judgment against the Lord. So I can't say, well, I made one judgment, Lord, so I'm just making a different judgment now. You don't you know, sign one contract and then sign another contract, which then just nullifies that contract. You've got to deal with that contract before you can sign a new one. And the same in your belief systems. When there's judgments, you've got to deal with the old judgment before you can make a right judgment against who God is. So if you've got a a belief system that says God is not good, I have to actually deal with the judgment there. And then he releases me to come into agreement with the reality that he is good. And when I do that, when I deal with my heart, when I deal with my belief system, all of a sudden, all that freedom flows out. And another such an important thing, which I love in that community context as we're all growing together and as Lord is forming in us, that we, we can't fully minister the heart of God unless we're carrying the heart of God. And this is something, you know, for, for prayer ministers in particular, I think, we can learn all of the tools of effective prayer ministry. But the most effective prayer ministry is when you actually carry the heart of God when you embody the very nature and personhood of Christ and you minister out of that place. And you can then teach people in the midst, because it's, it's about doing healthy life together. Not just about, okay, I've got conflict, I'll go and deal with my heart, and then I come back in and I have no idea how to interact with people. I have no idea how to live healthy relationship. And this is something that um, we've been so blessed to, you know, to have Amy 
uh, with us and just real insight into relational health. And that's the role of the shepherds in a church community, is not just to, to gather the flock, but to teach the flock how to be healthy and relate well with one another. And so Amy's taught us a lot about conflict. No, confrontation. That's the better one. Yeah. But it's like, so then people come into our community and they get confronted about things and they're like, oh, why, what are you confronting me about? This is, oh, that's what we do. Um, because if you don't confront stuff, then they just fester and go on and, and keep producing, you know. Um, now, again, if you're going to do confrontation, you need connection. Okay, so you need love, you need healthy environment, you need relationship and all of those sorts of things because what I like to say is confrontation without connection generally is the conflict. That's what we want to avoid. We don't want a conflict, but people, you know, equate conflict and confrontation as the same thing. No, no, confrontation is like, I'm coming before you, I'm looking you in the eyes, and we're going to talk about this thing that you're avoiding, that you're pretending isn't there. Okay. Yes, and to give someone grace is not to give them space, <laughs> it's to walk with them, it's to enter into their story, it's to enter into their journey and to walk with them. That's the empowering presence of God. When God gives you grace, grace is not a covering for sin. That's his mercy. Grace is the empowering presence of God that enters in to lead you into righteousness. It's not to cover all your bad stuff. That's his mercy. It's to release you into all of his good stuff. That's the grace of God. You know, oftentimes people will come into the community here and they see the beautiful fruit on the tree and they start to taste it and they're like, oh, this is amazing and oh, the community here and the love and the acceptance and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's like, and I want to be part of this. It's like, awesome. But now that you're grafted in, you're going to actually learn how we produce this fruit, which is con we're going to confront your sin. We're going to call you to righteousness. We're not just going to you know, promote you and do all this sort of stuff. So then oftentimes people are like, oh, as soon as they're going to get grafted in, well, that's the cost of producing that fruit? No, thanks. And we're okay with that. But we're not going to say, oh, no, we'll just limit, we'll limit the cost just to make it easier on you. Because ultimately then we'll get a whole bunch of youths who aren't willing to count the cost who will ultimately then strip the fruit of all of its nutrients and all of its life and create toxicity in the body. But that's what we've done. We've lowered the bar of discipleship. And yet Jesus says... You want to go bury your father? You're not fit to be my disciple. No one builds a, a building without first counting the cost. The cost of discipleship needs to be there. And part of the cost of discipleship is the pursuit of righteousness and that ministry of righteousness, which is the heart journey. That's what it is. So it's hard. People don't like sometimes doing the heart journey. But what other option do you have? You want to ignore your heart, then you're ignoring Jesus and you're ignoring his work of transformation. So you, there's, there's actually no place in the kingdom for you. He doesn't just come, come and sit over there while I keep walking. And he says, come and follow me. And I'm leading you into life, but in the kingdom, life comes through death. Exaltation comes through humiliation. What a paradox. That's all I've got to share that I can think of.